San Diego's talk radio leader, 760 KFMB presents It's Your Money and Your Life. For the next hour, Richard Musio and Joe Vecchio will educate and inform you on matters related to your financial future, your life, and your leisure. Now, with It's Your Money and Your Life, here are Richard and Joe. All right, good evening, everybody. My name is Joe Vecchio, your co-host, announcer, and producer, coming to you from KFMB Studios with 50,000 watts of power. We're heard not just in San Diego County, but Orange County, L.A. County, up the coast of Seattle on a good night, down to Cabo, out to the desert. If you download the app for 760 KFMB or tune in radio, you can hear the show as it airs on any device. And we are free on iTunes if you search the title of the show. Now time to introduce the main man of the hour. He's a CPA extraordinaire. He's an accomplished marathon runner, a best-selling author, a lecturer, a philanthropist, and a, high, a family office expert advising several high net worth families. Richard, good evening. How are you tonight? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Doing well. Good, good, good. I know you I know you were a big fan of the uh, the uh, Australia Open. Roger what? Federer, my hero. 35 years old. And, Wins uh, it in five sets against Rafael Nadal, down a break in the fifth. Mm-hmm. Rolls off the last five games, the most unbelievable so five he games was down, in tennis. What was he down in games in the he last He was down 1-3. One, 1-3. Three, one, three. Serving with a break point for Nadal to go up two breaks at 4-1. Fought that off. Mm-hmm. I think Nadal fought off about eight break points between the two games where Roger broke back at. And then all of a sudden, Roger's serving at 5-3, and he's down 15-40 for a break chance for Nadal. But Roger pulled, him, pulled himself out of that hole. Huh. Hits a winner off the line. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. The Nadal challenge, so the crowd didn't know what to do. Yeah, to win the whole match. It was he, like you could, you know, hear a pin drop kind of thing. It was, it was on the so line. So Hawkeye showed the replay, and the ball clearly hit, well, pretty much right on yeah. the middle of the line. And wish, then it was a delayed reaction yeah, celebration. But I, 35 years old, unbelievable. Yeah, I wish they had that thing around when, when McEnroe was playing. <laughs> no, because then he wouldn't even be McEnroe. Oh, be my nothing God. for him to complain about. Melt, melt down McEnroe. Geez, what a I bad example. It, it would have taken all the fun away from Oh, him. fun my eye. He was a bad example. <laughs> For kids, anyway. I mean, it was well, it was entertaining for adults, maybe. But but anyway, my lifetime record against McEnroe is one and zero. Me and Tim Wilkinson beat John and his partner in doubles at the Rancho Bernardo Inn about fifteen years ago. Yeah, well, you did nothing good to say about him. I got to you... meet his wife, Patty Smith. That was okay. the highlight of that. Yeah, but anyway, uh, well, we'll talk about conflict resolution later with our with our first. There we guest go. Tonight, I was leading so. with conflict resolution. <laughs> But by the way, uh, I wanted to also thank again, and we're going to have them on in a few weeks, uh, David and Michael Bronner from uh, Dr. Bronner's Magic Soaps. They had their big um, uh, record release party down at uh, the Music Box, former anthology. You ever been down there, Richard? No, I know where it is. It's, yeah, interesting. I've never pla- been inside. Yeah, interesting place uh, in Little Italy, a great music yep. venue. And uh, boy, what a turnout they had. I know we plugged it on the show a little bit with, with Mike. I, so I don't even think you needed our help. My gosh, you had uh, the place was packed and it Good. was fun. And uh, congratulations on on all the festivities down there. So they ran a nice, clean event. Yes, they did. They did. Um, so let's get into our our VIP guest. It's a, actually a, an encore uh, a performance, but we're not going to go over the same material from last time. The gentleman we have on tonight is uh, the the first guest. Has worked in this building for 22 years and has a, a colorful career in radio. And uh, you all know him and love him, and it's Paul Palmer. Paul, welcome back. Hey, good to be here. <laughs> good to see you guys. I promised that we would have you back and discuss, mostly focus on your history as a young, a young, energetic, uh, uh, ambitious radio personality at WMUC at University of Maryland, and uh, how you got to interview the Beatles. So. Two, this happened, what, two nights after the Beatles first appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show on February 9 of 64, right? Right. 
So uh, now, how did you, as, as young radio guys, even find out about this press conference and were, were other college uh, students uh, allowed to be there? Because this was I, I think Maryland was the only one, and the University of Maryland at College Park is adjacent to Washington, D.C. Uh-huh. The Terpins. So that's the Terps. Right? Uh-huh. Right. And, of course, we could go across the, uh, the line to D.C., and the drinking age was uh, 18. Really? So uh, I used to earn a lot of spending money doing record hops <laughs> in D.C. on Friday night. Nights and to go down and spin the old 45s, and uh, people could, uh, you know, have their libations and didn't How? have any problem as long as they didn't drive back to Maryland. All right, so you but I got, did you get assigned this gig, or is this something you did? Yeah, how did you, you find talking about it? with the Beatles? Yeah. Well, with the Beatles, uh, we've been playing their music on the radio, right? Uh, and um, they had their Ed Sullivan mm-hmm. appearance for that Sunday, February 9th. Right. But their first live concert was Tuesday the 11th. And they were supposed to take... Um, in um, Washington, In right? Washington, D.C. They were supposed to fly down, and there was a press conference set for that afternoon. Where was that going to be? That was at the... It was called the uh, U-Line Arena. Uh-huh. It's the Washington Coliseum. Mm-hmm. Okay. The venue it holds about 8,000 people. So the concert was sold out for Tuesday night, mm-hmm. but they had the press conference about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. And we got word of that and got our credentials and came in another individual. Oh, you didn't, individual. Cra- you didn't crash it. Well, you, no, we didn't you, crash okay. it. No, no, no. <laughs> but there was a, a snowstorm that day, and they had about 10 inches of snow. Oh, jeez. So the Beatles wound up coming down on the train from New York to Washington, oh, which is about a four-hour train train ride uh-huh. and then you know limousines brought them to the Coliseum so we get there and uh, set up our microphones along with the, all the other major radio and TV stations so how many mics and, and radio uh, how many how many stations were there it must have been TV and 50. radio 50 wow. yeah, yeah, yeah like 50. <laughs> didn't know there were that many stations back then well you got to remember there's the all whole, the Washington and right. Baltimore stations the whole and region the surrounding right? and then you had the networks sure. and all your television coverage were you from the only, both Baltimore and Washington. Were you the market. only college station there? Were there yeah, other college? We were the only college. How about station that? There. How cool! All right, so, so. They, they they come out and uh, you've got Brian Epstein mm-hmm. and um, uh, you've got the four Beatles uh-huh. and they're on stage and they're taking questions from the audience and we participated in that, asked yeah. a few questions uh-huh. and we basically we didn't know we were a college radio station. We thought we were some kind of a fifty thousand watt giant. So <laughs> we acted like we belonged there. So. We participate in the uh, press conference and uh-huh. ask a few questions, and those are on that recording that you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as we'll as have it on our website, the, Paul. We'll post yeah, it on our website. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's but, kind of interesting because yeah. uh, these guys were only twenty years old when this was done, and now what Paul McCartney's seventy-four, right. seventy-five right. years old. And that, and your interview only it, it lasted about what uh, I think ten minutes or something like that, right? With these the, guys. Well, that's the edited version. Oh, okay. The press conference went on for about a half. No, an but hour. I mean, but I mean your 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 interviews uh, with them. Yeah, we actually point. spent about twenty minutes. With twenty minutes. Them. But what happened? They were told not to do any individual interviews right. by their manager, <laughs> and you know. Me and my associate hop up on the stage to get our microphones after the press conference. Uh-huh. And they're standing there. There's George, uh-huh. John, and Ringo. Paul McCartney was on the other side talking to a TV camera. Uh-huh. So we asked the three of them, we said, hey, can we ask you a few questions? And they said, sure. Yeah. So we did a private interview with the three of them. Isn't that It's fun? just, you know, Bill and myself and these three guys standing around. And that's where we got most of the content for mm-hmm. the uh 
for the interview. Yeah. And they were delightful. They yeah, were just some, really fun. Well, they, they had were, this snarky it, sense of humor, didn't oh, they? Oh, they I were mean, real they, smirky, yeah. yeah. I think I, uh, one of the questions, I know, well, Diane Bell did this article on you as well. And I guess, who asked George, did you ever, does it bother you can't walk down the street like a normal person right. anymore? And what does he say? He, goes, he says, <laughs> oh, we don't like to walk down the street anyway. We'd rather take a cab. Yeah, we're always lazy. He said. <laughs> we're always lazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's the kind of answers they came back uh, yeah. with. How but fun. they talked about, you know, they were on five different record labels at the time. Yeah. And were just signed up to do their their uh, their, their recording with Capitol from then. Isn't that something? And, of course, they recorded. the. I guess you asked John to record. Did he do that right on the spot, the promo for yes. Uh, WMUC? Yes. So WMUC is the college station for the University of Maryland. Right. And uh, why don't we play it right now? It's only a few seconds. So yeah. Why don't you play it for us, Eric? Hello, this is John Lennon of the Beatles, and you're listening to the number one station in College Park, WMUC, at 65 on the dial. Oh, my God. You know, that promo is that promo They're still, is still using running. That. Yeah, I figure there must be. You know, still you, running. You, it's priceless. I, you know, I looked up the station, I, and I emailed, I emailed the GM, and I forwarded it to you, but she said, yes, they value that. That's precious in their archives, and they are still running that. And there's another one, too, but we'll put that on our website. It's so, only, Paul, did you he, get to he the— never, He never did any promos for any radio station. Isn't that something? That, that was the only one he ever did, and, of course, he passed away. Uh, yeah. So, so did you get to the concert? No, uh, did not. Uh, as a matter of fact, we didn't have the have tickets then, okay. but that was in my senior year, and I got a job at WBAL uh, in Baltimore, and uh, was on the air there. And the Beatles came to town the next year. Yeah. So in 1965, Five, when they right. were performing there, mm-hmm. I had credentials to get backstage. So we did another interview with Ringo and I believe George, and I lost that. I don't have that as far as piece WBL. of tape. Yeah. Well, but fun. we were able to watch the show from backstage. Oh, wow. And that is one of those things that's like indelible in your mind. Walk, watching, this was at the Baltimore Civic Center. There's uh, 14,000 people there. And they are mainly young girls, 12, 13, 14, High 15 screaming, years old. Right? Yeah. High pitch yeah. screaming, right? High pitch screaming. Yep. We're, we're, we're about 15 feet away from the Beatles performing, and you can hardly hear them. All you can hear is the... Young girls screaming. Well, we have to hear a little break right now, Paul. We'll come back with more of this great Beatles information and other stuff with Paul Palmer. Hang on, we'll be right back. All right, we're back with Paul Palmer, all about the Beatles and his early days in radio. And, um, of course, we ought to add it parenthetically as a footnote. Another great personality here at, at KFMB was the late Jerry G. Bishop, host of Sun Up all those years. Uh, and I don't, you must have known this at the time uh, when you came to work here, Paul, but he got the tour. He was a DJ, I think, out of Cleveland. He yeah. got assigned by Westinghouse uh, Radio Group to mm-hmm. uh, to tour with the Beatles on their second American tour, which... You probably saw him in Baltimore and didn't even know it. You well, know. actually, when I was at the University of Maryland, before Jerry went to Cleveland, he was at um, a radio station, WWDC, I think it was, in Washington, D.C. Oh. So I listened to him in the mornings on the radio when oh. I was in college. Oh, for gosh Jerry sake. was about five or six years older than I was. Yeah. And then, of course, being at KFMB, we got to talk about this and our experience it, with the Beatles. Isn't that crazy? He but, had he had one of those experiences, though, that was beyond mine in that he traveled with them on the train. 
Isn't it? I think the whole tour he was with him pretty much was because he he was on the second tour. I think yeah, you're right because he was sending back these little snippets. Well, there is an album of that that he late I think around the early '84 ish, and Dave Sniff, our programming director here, whom we all know, got to mix that down, I guess, and record it. And um, I happen to have a copy uh, somewhere at home, but maybe I could t- I could talk to his daughter. You know, Jerry passed. I'd, yeah. I'd love for people to be able to hear that. Maybe we can get a link or something and get it up on our on our website. But I know he was selling the album for a while. Was he? Yeah. Well, well he had, uh, that, that had to be quite an experience, traveling on the train with them because they were going from Cleveland to Pittsburgh to Chicago. And, yeah. And uh, that had to be something. And I know that when they, a- after that show where uh, we were backstage with them, in Baltimore, mm-hmm. there was an opportunity that I didn't know until later to have been able to go up to their suite with them and play poker. Oh my oh, god! Wow. And you know, you think about <laughs> you think about missing opportunities yeah. in your life that you know you. It's like, why didn't I take that step and say, "Hey, I want to play"? Did you ever hear that story? I guess it was their first appearance on the uh, the Ed Sullivan Show, and the Beatles yeah. were up in some little closet room, you know, the, the dressing room, and and he didn't even have a dime for the Coke machine or whatever. Or, uh, uh, Paul, uh, John Lennon, or whatever, but some funny story about what a dumpy room, and they were complaining and whatever. But um, I, I'm trying to remember where I even heard that interview, but it was very, very funny story mm-hmm. about all that. So, but gosh, yeah, the, the screaming young white teenage gals. I mean, uh, absolutely crazy, right? Yeah, <laughs> it really, really was. And they came out and. Uh, and it was basically, you know, they just played the songs. There's no talking to the audience. They yeah. started playing, and 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 about you know an hour later, yeah. finished their last song, waved goodbye, and they were gone. From well, the you stage. know, if you go on YouTube, the magic of the internet. I mean, uh, I did this the other night and f- tried to. F- I found that at Sullivan concert, but even another one earlier in '63, they were in Sweden. They got really big in Europe before they came here. Yeah, they right? were huge in Europe. You know, I yeah. guess Germany really embraced them and, and whatever. But, um, well, just recently, Paul, I don't know if you knew about it, but uh, John Lennon's sister, gosh, if I had known this then, uh, they were at the, the JCC, Jewish Community Center, doing a concert. John really? Lennon's sister, she's got a book. I sh- I'll, I'll get you the information. But uh, she was there, and uh, courtesy of uh, Julie Potaker, who was a recent guest, and, uh, mm-hmm. and Jen, uh, her publicist, um, I got to go to that. And uh, they had the Mercy Beatles, these guys that play at the Cavern Club in Liverpool to this day. They played there like 10 really? years, the cover band. And uh, they were there that night. But, yeah, you're right. The stage was very barren. And they said that's the way they performed. There was not much on the stage. It was sure. just them and, you know, guitars. And, when, and, and Ringo, Ringo kind of lucked into it in that the other drummer died. You, right. Pete right. Best died? It, it was Best or the guy before Best. Oh. But there was a drummer that died. Because I know I don't know what happened that, that they got Ringo into play. See, that, that, that's the whole spoof and spinal tap about the drummer who died. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I knew there was a drummer that died. Yeah. I didn't. But I know when Ringo, when we were talking with him, he said, you know, it's just like by accident and fate that he got to become one of the Beatles. Hmm. Maybe that was after Pete Best or something, because uh, I'll have to look that up. I didn't. I wasn't even. Richard might be right, though. That yeah. They, yeah uh, that, but, I, you yeah, know, in Spinal Tap, they'd lose about six drummers in a row. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen that. But oh, I, that is Rob Reiner. It's hilarious. But I have to see it. Well, flash forward to 1981. I really didn't uh, get into the Beatles. I mean, this is how behind the you know, Richard, you never had a cup of coffee. I never really discovered the Beatles till 1981, right over here, just east of the west of the station here at Balboa and Genesee. But you found the Beatles at I, Balboa and I, Genesee? Well, hang, I did. Well, I'm, I did. If you just hang on a second, here. the London Opera House was there, which was a nightclub. Now it's a Starbucks, I think. But I go in there one night, and there's a band playing. These guys all had the mop top haircuts and the and 
I started listening. I go, my God, this music is great. You know, because they're playing a lot of the early stuff, mm -hmm. you know, from the 64, 66, um, before they got into the White Album and all that, more the heavy, uh, you know, the heavy. Joe, Joe, that's like finding Brian Wilson under a tree in Balboa Park. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wait, that actually happened. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I go up to the ringleader at one of the breaks. His name is Joe Wicken. Turns out he's an emergency room doctor, went to Columbia. And uh, I go, how'd you get into the musical? He goes, well, in Columbia, I was with a group called Sha Na Na. I go, oh, yeah. he played the keyboards there. And um, they actually played at Woodstock, and they were there that last morning. And they, uh, the, the the act that followed them was Jimi Hendrix, and I think they got a check for three hundred. That, that was a good timing for them to be yeah. before yeah. Hendrix. Yeah. Anyway, they uh, well, everyone was pretty wasted by the third yeah. morning. Anyway, but um, uh, he said they got a check for I think for three hundred fifty bucks, and it bounced anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but they got a good TV gig out of it, so whatever. The rest is history. But God, we'll talk about all this great history. It's terrific. So, Paul, you also, I, I guess, you know, rubbed elbows and interviewed a lot of other celebrities when you got into WBAL Baltimore. So, uh, well, you got a great story about uh, Phyllis Diller and all these yeah, great musicals. Phyllis Diller kind of crossed over. She was on the show about five times. The great thing about Phyllis was it wasn't just an interview. She would come in, and we would actually uh, track a music show. So she'd be introducing, you know, Tallahassee Lassie and uh, Freddie Cannon. And uh, it was really, really, you know, bizarre programming. But uh, the one I think I really remember was George Carlin. Ah. Oh, George great. was, um, uh, this was before he got really involved in, you know, the drugs and political yeah. uh, issues and whatever. This he, He's like 25, 26 years yeah, old. Yeah, he had the slick back hair and everything. Yeah. Right? He, you know. he did the hippy-dippy weatherman. Yeah. And he was appearing at a club in Baltimore, and I went down to meet him, and we kind of hit it off. And I said, why don't you come in and come on to my show? And he came in three or four nights in a row. Were you morning drive, afternoon uh, drive, or when, when was your I was show? doing all nights. I was really? a kid out of college. Oh, this you was were my, like, my first job. You were like Larry King, midnight to five. <laughs> 50, it was 50,000 watts. So he came in late like that for you? Huh? Carlin came in late at night it for you? It was after his show. Oh, for God. He oh. was working in a club until 1 o'clock. <laughs> Came in and he stayed for three hours. Honest to God, and did shtick and one routine after another. I mean, I was just you know, I, I do regret not having tape oh, of any of that. But uh, yeah, I'm just gonna ask. Quite, oh, no, I do not. If believe me, if I did, I would have brought it with me. Oh my gosh! Yeah, Can you imagine? But we had um, you know prior to that, I, I think the first job I had radio was in Wildwood, New Jersey. Anybody knows the Jersey Shore uh -huh. knows it's about sixty miles. Uh, east of Philadelphia. Uh -huh. And in 1963, Philadelphia was the capital of the music world, mm. not L.A. Right, Dick Clark, right? Because Dick Clark yeah. was doing bandstand there. Mm -hmm. So uh, we got to uh, interview Dick Dale and the Deltones. In fact, we did a two-hour show with, with them. They were trying to bring surf music to New Jersey <laughs> in 1963. <laughs> you know, Dick Dale and the Deltones, king of the surf guitar. Yeah. But uh, we also had... Um, Four Seasons, uh -huh. uh, Lloyd Price, Jerry, uh, Little Eva, Frankie uh, Valley in the Four Seasons. Frankie Valley in the Four oh Seasons. Oh my God! Yeah, talk about uh, boy, they, they yeah. had a renaissance. That was right yeah. when they uh, they had launched. Uh, they were, I think, beyond Sherry. Mm. Sherry was their first hit. Well, they're from Jersey, I think. Hey, yeah. Paul, let's plug your. Yeah, Joe, I, what are you doing on April 8th? Yeah, well, I know Paul is. Uh, we have to talk to the National Conflict Resolution Center. I mean, you should actually have John McEnroe as your guest, as yeah. a man, guest, of, a guest of honor one of these times. But anyway, tell us about that event, Paul. It sounds great. It's, uh, uh, National Conflict Resolution Center is an organization I've been working with. They do wonderful work. We train all the campus leaders at UCSD and San Diego State. 
And we also have our pipeline to prison, avoiding the pipeline to prison for mm-hmm. high school kids to keep them out of out of uh, prison in Juvenile Hall. Mm-hmm. But uh, big event, the Peacemaker Dinner, coming up on April the 8th. We'll be honoring this year uh, two organizations uh, and also Bill and Laurie Walton. Mm. So Bill Walton is going to get the well-deserved honor for all the things he's done in the community. Absolutely. MC is going to be Dick Enberg. Mm. And you can go to ncrconline.comma. And we'll put, in, yeah, we'll put, in, we'll put, yeah, we'll put information <laughs> yeah. on our site. It's April eight. It's at the Hyatt, Hyatt La Jolla, and uh, Hyatt Aventine. Regency in Aventine, known as the Aventine. Yes, yeah. yes, sir. It's a fun. Last year, uh, Richard Dreyfus was our uh, our guest. Ah, and he was terrific. So this is going to be another great, uh, great thing, and uh, I think it'll be a nice honor. So the question is, will the MC get any words in? But anyway, yeah. Anyway, we have to take our <laughs> well, break. Well, Dick Enberg will. Yeah, Paul yeah. Palmer. Thanks so much. We'll put all those links and everything we can on our website, and uh, we'll oh, keep, keep rocking <laughs> and rolling, Paul. <laughs> great, great, great being here, guys. Really right. enjoyed it. Thank all you. Right. We'll come right back with uh, Miles Himmel right after this. Hang on. We're back to the award-winning It's Your Money and Your Life, and this is the time where Richard likes to thank our sponsors. Big thank you to our sponsors, as always. Couldn't do the show without them. At the top of the list, UBS with Michael Coronta. Big thank you to Mike and UBS. Also, our favorite CPAs on the planet. We've got two sets of them, Polito Epic CPAs in San Marcos, more traditional CPAs as we approach taxis, and also Jason Kruger with Signature Analytics, a great CFO service company. Also, our great friend Joel Grushkin. Joel, like me, is suffering through the San Diego State Aztecs' worst basketball season we've seen in a long time. How many double-digit leads can you guys blow in the second half? But anyway, that's cost segregation initiatives, helping real estate owners improve their cash flow. Joel Grushkin. Now, if you want to put your money somewhere that all these sponsors make for you, how about last week's guest in his bank? That would be Sean Puckett, who heads up the San Diego region for Mechanics Bank. A great niche bank that serves wealthy families and real estate investors and companies in the real estate business like escrow companies and so forth. Mechanics Bank with Sean Puckett. That was a great show talking about where we need some reform to make community banks even stronger. Also, I just saw him last week, Neil Staley with Hub International, a great employee benefits firm. And Tony Lombardi, Alex Sawkin with the LG Experience and the Lombardi Group, helping wealth advisors make heroes out of CPAs to the CPA's very best clients. Next would be Paul Hines. I just had lunch with Paul Hines on my way over here. Paul, of course, heads up Hearthstone Private Wealth Management, a great wealth advisory firm, and he also is the catalyst between SeniorSafeAndSound.org, helping to prevent financial elder abuse here in San Diego. Uh, Elite Lifestyle Management with Michelle St. Clair. Elite Elite Lifestyle Management helps people like me who have no time get things done from simple things like travel arrangements to more complicated things. Just use your imagination about whatever is complicated that you don't have time to solve. Elite Lifestyle Management will do that for you. Also, Geiger Law Office with Brenda Geiger. Got a big event coming up uh, with her in May. More on that later. But again, Brenda Geiger, the Geiger Law Office, specializes in asset protection and estate planning, assuming Donald Trump doesn't get rid of the estate tax, which would actually be a good thing. I'm getting hungry talking about the estate tax, Joe. I don't know why that Well, happens. we have some other great sponsors. The Very Good Food Foundation, headed up by Michelle ciccarelli Lyrac, who puts on all those great sustainability programs all year long. She does four shows with us, actually a fifth when we do her Very Good Night dinner every June from her estate. 
and then also Lestat's Coffee Houses, uh, the original, and, and Adams Avenue, Normal Heights, University Heights, and Hillcrest open 24-7, 365. Great food uh, all the time. And if you get over to our uh, website, iymoney.com, there is a sponsor tab, and there's a drop-down menu you can uh, learn all about some or all of them, and I know many have been working with Richard for many, many years with great success, correct? Yeah, and actually it's all of them, yeah. not some of them, but yes, in some cases pushing 30 years, which is three <laughs> decades for those of you who don't like the number 30, like me. That's right. You even hung out at Lestat's and you have a gift card now. So <laughs> Yeah, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Hey, it's an all-KFMB show today. It is. We, we, On the we, board, we have Eric Rubalcava, by the way, which... Uh, <laughs> we we excuse the beauty, Paul Palmer. Now we have yeah. the youth, and uh, we've uh, we've actually raided the uh, Mike Slater show because we have the producer with us, uh, the beloved Miles Hemmel. Miles, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. <laughs> this is fun. Thank you. <laughs> well, my gosh, where do we start? I you know I heard you you were sitting in for uh, for Mike the other day and talking about uh, high school and and whatever and uh, and you were kind of. I guess making comments about your liberal friends, this and that, but you must've got a good education. So we want to know where you went to school, born and raised at what part of San Diego and where you went to school. And we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I was trying that radio thing. I was filling in for Mike, but I went to school. I was born and raised in, uh, I guess what they call the forest ranch area back then. Uh, it was just Rancho Bernardo because mm -hmm. we just had cows around us. We just had dirt roads and cows. I mean, really? we have seen it expand so much that, now we look down on a super target, you know, and it's just like, what are we doing here? You know, we're part of the NIMBYs that are just like, get out of our backyard. But uh, so what year did you become a, uh, a, 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 a fetus? <laughs> I, <laughs> what? Uh, I was uh, I was born in 92. OK, or okay. A new, I should say newborn. So is he Gen X, Gen Y? I guess you're Gen Y, huh? Uh, I think they still lose. Do I don't know. Millennial, I guess. So millennial. Yeah. So I went to. OK. I All went right. to high school at La Jolla Country Day. Okay. Uh, and uh, I th couldn't afford that school, so my kids went to La Jolla <laughs> Country Night School. <laughs> hey. But I'm pumped. Try uh, the veal. He'll be here one <laughs> night. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Country Day and uh, and then uh, and anywhere else. And then I, we went, uh, yeah, I mean, I went my, I braved four years away from home. I went to Bradley University. Illinois. In Illinois. Nice. And uh, didn't like Bradley. the cold. So I came back, mm. but uh, yeah. Well, you love the cold because you. I know you and your dad. And let's. We got to talk about the Cubs a little bit. I yes. mean, when did you, your dad first? Because your dad's from Chicago, right? From Chicago South Side, and his mom wouldn't let him go to the White Sox games because it was too dangerous. <laughs> so he had to still, go. To still Chicago. is. Yes. Still is. <laughs> exactly. So uh, he he became a Cub fan, and I, I've got to say, every summer we would go to Chicago and. I mean, trips revolved around the Cubs, and they were terrible back then. I mean, we're talking oh, yeah. like 90s, and I mean, they've been terrible yeah, pretty much. I mean, until they started trading with the Padres. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> raiding, the, <laughs> raiding the Padres. So, uh, and we went, I mean, spring training, the Cubs, and... and but what a great ballpark. Is that the first is that the first ballpark you so ever you saw? You went to your first game in Wrigley? Yes, oh, yes, oh, you'll, yes. You'll there never you, you know, I would go to that park and I'd look down, I'd go, gosh, Babe Ruth stood right there. You yeah. know, Lou Gehrig, all these legends uh, of baseball. Well, some Cubs, you can't you can only say that about that in Fenway Park. I think all these other parks have been uh, reconstructed or moved or whatever, right? Yeah, name some Cubs, say Phil Cavaretta or something. Well, I know. I'm saying the Ernie Banks. Ernie Banks. Just, Ernie Banks. Well, of course, Ernie Banks, Ron Sano, of course. But I'm just saying the legends going back, you know, to totally. the nineteen. We had Billy Williams' godson on the show, for crying out loud. Oh, 
Yeah. We we had his godson on the show. Yeah. I'll remind you who that is later. Oh, okay. <laughs> you remember. Oh, Nathan, uh, Nathan. Yeah, well, I think we talked about that. Anyway. Nathan Watkins. Yeah. But um, okay. But anyway, so the Cubs and of course a great season this year. I I, I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean surreal, surreal, surreal on so many different parts. We were back for Game Six, uh-huh. the game that they clinched to go to the World Series, yeah. that they won the pennant, and. I mean, goosebumps still. I get goosebumps talking about it. I mean, I, as I like to say, there were 42,000 people that sit in Wrigley, but it felt like there were like 3 million fans from past, present. All right. The, the Magnificent Parade, 5 million people yeah. approxim- <laughs> that, approximately, and God knows how many around the world, because they do have fans around the world. Yeah. Uh, did you go back for that at all? Or no, no, just the game. I mean, but I got to be honest, when they clinched the pennant, when they won the World Series, I mean, I had I had tears coming down my eyes, of course, as, as so many did, because you know you're thinking about your dad, of and course. you're thinking about his dad. I mean, 109 years is it's a long time. That's a long time. There's a lot of generations in between. Oh so. God, yeah, yeah. It, just, it, was, it was great, and of course, their appearance in the White House and <clears throat> yeah. um, the pre- President Obama, I guess, did a he did a great yeah. speech for them and and whatnot. So, but anyway, uh, but we digress. So, Miles, after Bradley, uh, what'd you study in Bradley? By the way, well, I studied communications. Just tried to, <laughs> tried to follow <laughs> follow my well, dad. What a surprise! <laughs> so you got this great getting now. You after college, mm-hmm. did you immediately start working in KFMB? Yeah. Or? So I remember coming to the uh, the studios, and it's funny about KFMB is that my uh, my dad gave our program director his first job, Dave Sniff. He gave him his first job when he was like a teenager. Really? And uh, what was that? Oh, gosh, he was on the radio doing something, and he said, hey, do you know how to run a board? And he said, no. And he said, okay, You're well, hired. I'll teach you. And What we, station we'll, was that? Do we, gosh, I, I, I don't, you'd have well, to ask well, Dave. I did not know that. You'll have to ask him. So lo and behold, it turned turn around, and he said, uh, do you know anything about politics? And I said, no. And he said, Perfect. Let's do it. And so, <laughs> just just like our present administration, Joe. Well, I mean, you did you start out as an in, intern, or did you just start, get you got? I right? started as a producer, and here's what I will say: is mm-hmm. I would I was always privy to what was going on in the news. I, mm. I couldn't give you a take on anything, but I knew what was going on probably just from watching the news and watching my dad and things that were that was that was going on, and I was always interested. So they said, "Hey, do you know the local stories?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, I know places, I know people, I just can't." give you much besides that but i've learned i've 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 learned and like they said that this last presidential campaign is unlike any other absolutely <laughs> well yeah we don't know what's going on with, with it <laughs> we're, we're, we're all waiting for the other shoe to drop but but at least hey at least there's something to talk about every that's day right, right? that's right and, and night and day and night and day so uh so there you have it but um, Loya Country Day, and when you, you know, Governor Dukakis comes there, every, he's been coming there for 16 years. Did, did you see him in, when he was I there? I did not. No, I didn't know that. I know they've, got, they've had some big Yeah, George Mitrovich hitters. set that up. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, he spoke, uh, he actually he spoke, he's actually going to be, I think, at uh, this morning, uh, he was at um, Point Loma Nazarene. But, but okay. yeah, he would come once a year. I think this is his 16th trip trip here, so, so that's wow. kind of... Okay. Well, Loya Country Day, I think Bree Walker's daughter went there, by the way, as well, who won the... Countywide Rotary Speech Contest. I remember wow. seeing her do that. So. Well, well, I always give the story is like, so I went to Westwood Elementary, which was just my local elementary school, and I'd be, you know, telling stories, and I'd say, you know, this past week, and I got to go in the Chargers locker room, mm-hmm. and it was really cool because who, who I were met, the Chargers again? <laughs> that's yeah. right. And I'd tell the kids that, and they'd say, "Wow, that's so cool." I'm at elementary school. I'd go to La Jolla Country Day, and they'd say, "Yeah, yeah, my dad owns the Chargers. <laughs> that's all great." <laughs> well, we got to take a little break right now, Miles. We'll come back with great stories of Miles Hamill, producer of the Mike Slater Show right after this. Hang on. Oh, 
That's Frankie Lane music, and we are playing that in honor of Miles Himmel. Tell us why we're playing that, Miles. Yeah, he's. I, I'm related to him. <laughs> uh, it's. It's. Uh, gosh, let me do the math here. But it's on my dad's side, and uh, I. I want to say it's like second cousins or something really? like that. Yeah, we went up to his home one day. And, in Point Loma. Uh, Point Loma. Yeah, in Point Loma, and just he showed us the gold has a records. De- has a decent view. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and he's the late Frankie Lane now, but I'll tell you a funny story about it. Uh, well, he can't he can't hurt me since he's not here. But he, we were sitting at the table. It was me, my mom, my dad, uh, the three of us, and him and his wife. But they had uh, six placemats put out, and we said, "Well, huh? There's only five here. Uh, put the food out. Beautiful lunch. Put the dog right up here, and he ate right at the table with <laughs> oh everybody like gosh. it was normal." So, <laughs> it was <such> a, <laughs> I always will remember Frankie Lane. Jeez, our dog doesn't even use you know, a placemat. You know, you know what his his birth name, his real surname is Lovecchio. Did you know that, Richard? Lovecchio. Yeah, Frankie Lovecchio. So your dad must have that. some Italian in his there background, you go. perhaps. There you go. Sicilian Italian, I don't know, I'm not sure which, but um, he did a big thing for shoes, uh, uh, Frankie Lane. I know he did a a large fundraising or philanthropic event to give homeless people shoes or whatever, but he was was quite the um, the philanthropist, as I remember, humanitarian, so good guy, and uh, he lived here. Yeah, local. Um, You know, Dick Van Dyke lived here for a while, too. Yeah, Coronado. so your dad came here what year? Because I remember seeing him play, perform at the Comedy Store, mm-hmm. and uh, he had some funny, funny. Uh, obviously, his whole act was funny. The news director here happened to see him, Jim Holzman. You probably know the story a little yes, bit, right? Yes, yes, And next thing you know, he's doing this uh, San Diego at Large with Rick Rockwell, who that's, I know right. well. <laughs> he wants to marry a millionaire, that's right. Boy, it's a shame he got tagged with that. Are they, uh, you know, you're still friends with him at all, Rick? I, you know what, I haven't seen him in years and years and years. Yeah. But. Actually, Rick Rockwell and Rusty Nails are probably the two best local comics we had in town here who could do complete, you know, a complete one-hour show and more. Um but uh, they had this show. They did an hour a night. Do you still you still have copies of that? The San Diego at Large. At oh all? yeah, yeah. I've got a few. Every once in a while, people say you got to <laughs> sell them. You got to put them out. I'm like, that's not the political <laughs> correct way anymore. You know? How crazy is that doing an hour a night of TV locally? I don't know where. And I know Dan Arden was the producer. He came over from Channel Ten. I don't know how how they were able to write. And uh, your dad must have not have slept at all. Yeah, I mean. my my mom said it was just three years of 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 hell, not in like a bad way, but yeah. just work and work and work. He'd come home and work. He'd write and work. I mean, it, I know you got to write a whole show and, and, uh, and think about that in this day and age where you'd have an yeah. hour, you know, local programming every yes. night. I, 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 I still, to this day, it astounds me. Uh, and they were given prime. It was a good hour too. I think it was like seven to eight yeah. or eight to nine or something. But I mean, uh, phew. I don't. I don't think that could ever be reproduced today. I don't think. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, Miles. Miles, serious question. Yeah. Your dad was a funny, funny guy. But yeah. some of the most poignant reporting I ever saw was when he had the wildfire. Yeah. And he was reporting. You guys actually lost your home. Yeah. You? Yeah. It's funny because people remember him as the funny guy, but then they yeah. remember probably, like you said, the most, the mo- yeah. you know, kind of the most important story was in, in front of the house. But yeah, I remember. Uh, he was standing in front of the house. We were on the phone with him, and he said, "Oh gosh, it's on fire. I've got to go." And then the last time we, or the the next thing we saw was him, just like everybody else here in San Diego, watching it uh, burn down. And yeah, we lost our home. And uh, yes, surreal, you know. And and then even the days following, like going on Larry King and going on all these shows, because it kind of went viral. Yeah. And and people, you know, hey, that's the guy that stood in front of his home while it burned down. And. And so we did that, and he kept it together pretty professionally. I thought, yeah, uh, I thought it was with incredible. the with the uh, mask over his eyes, because yeah. I mean, you saw the flames and smoke right th- there. I yeah. mean, it was very poignant. I mean, you don't get you don't get to do a story like that too often in your lifetime. 
But um, anyway, yeah, that was very, very moving. I didn't know he got on Larry King and all that. Yeah, I mean, we were sitting there going, I mean, just probably wide-eyed, like, uh, we don't, you know, we didn't have anything left. We didn't have right. any clothes. But. Well, it's all the sentimental stuff you lose. I mean, you could lose a, you know, a shirt or a pair of pants, but, I mean, you're losing pictures and memorabilia that you can't replace. I know that Ingrid Croce lost all of her stuff in a fire. You know, Jim Croce's, uh, all his awards and medals and, and things, and you can imagine the loss there, but... But anyway, we're we're here and kicking, and that's the main thing. So, that's right. so that's that's, right. that's great. So, um, so tell us about your experience at the Slayer Show. When did you start there? Yeah, it's been fun. I've started there about uh, almost three years ago. Has it been that long? I know, Jeez. I know. <laughs> I, I'm, not a, I'm not a child anymore. Now, but uh, you know what's been so funny is, like I said, I knew nothing about politics. I mean, I, oh. I want to say that. I, I don't I don't want to say that when I was trying to get the job, but... Well, you ought to run for <laughs> office then. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And uh, it's been fun, and Slater's a great guy, and we've got a good group. You know, we've got some young, oh, yeah. we, young guys. By the way, congratulations to the Slater family. That's yes. right. I, I told them their life will get, your life will get back to normal in 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> they had a baby. Yeah, like we had him on the show here. Yeah, I don't know if, did you have, yes. Did yeah, yeah, yeah. You I, remember hearing yes, that, right? Yes, definitely. And I went and saw the baby last week for the first time. I got to really hold it and... and Cried in my hand. What's so. the baby's name? Do we do we? Do yeah, we? yeah, it's Jack. Jack. It's Jack. Yeah. Jack Slater. All right. Jack Slater. Very cool. Well, kids are great when uh, they're somebody else's. That's what I said. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Because I left. You, I spent thirty minutes there. Went you, home and you get had to a fun sleep. Time. You, you get to sleep through the night, right? That's so right. That's right. That's that's the main thing. So. But then you get to work with a cool guy like Eric Rubalcava, yes. who's on our. We uh, Justin's got uh, off tonight, so we have Eric filling in too. So Eric, always great having you work with Thank us. You, so sir. <laughs> almost the voice of the podcast. You know, we had Eric yeah, before right. Slater got him. Just remember that. Yes. <laughs> we found him. Okay, <laughs> we broke him in. We broke him in on our on our show, and uh, that's we, how we were talking about the time he lost the Dickie Smothers interview for us. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, we did a whole first. We did a whole first segment, and uh, and he goes, "Guess what? I uh, I I've logged it incorrectly, and it's gone." So Dickie's on this. I go, "You know what, Dickie? Uh, we didn't really start off. We start talking about tennis or something." I go, "And actually, it was, it was better." It the went second. great. It, went it was great. better the second time. That's so. right. It was a preview. Just, just like that's right. It was just a warm up. So. Whatever. How much time we have left there? I was, two minutes? Gosh, it just oh, flew by. Just flew by. Well, let's talk about your foundation a little yeah. bit. Uh, in, uh, the Larry, is it the Himmel Family Foundation? Yeah, it's the Larry Himmel Neighborhood Foundation. And pretty much, I mean, it, it's it's very simple, and, and we have a lot of fun with it. You know, my dad went and told stories in the neighborhood. I mean, mm -hmm. he, whether it was Hamul, Encinitas, Chula Vista, I mean, he was everywhere. Yeah. And he enjoyed that. And if he hadn't have passed away, he'd still be doing those stories. So... We said, how can we continue his legacy? How can we keep doing these things that he did? So we thought we'll go out in the community and we'll do these stories and we'll share them and we do this in just kind of a fundraising way. Yeah. And we have a lot of fun with it. Isn't that great? Well, uh, just tune into the to the Slate Mike Slater show <laughs> here or uh, get on Facebook and friend Miles Himmel if you can. And uh, you know what? If you go into the comedy store and you go in the back by the bar, I showed you those pictures. You his dad's on the marquee with people like Robin Williams and all these other great comics. You get to see his name there. And uh, it, so so that's a legacy that's nice. So anyway, great well, having you, you on, much. Miles thank Himmel. Thank you, guys. Well, real pleasure. Miles Himmel, thank you. Thank you to Paul Palmer, Richard Musio. Thank, great seeing you this week. Eric Rubicava, great uh, sounding on the board uh, for this show. Uh, thanks to Craig Blank. Your account executive, Andrew Dave Sniff, our program genius here at KFMB. All these podcasts are commercial free on iwaymoney.com. We'll see you next time now. Bye bye.